Hi, I'm Gwen. And I'm Wendy. Welcome to Farmworker Chronicles. Today we are talking about the educational experiences of farm worker children. We are speaking to Jose Salinas, who has worn many hats in his life. Some of these hats include agricultural worker, son, brother, track all-star, student, graduate, father, and advocate. Jose now serves as director of the Ohio Migrant Education Center, or OMEC, in Fremont, Ohio. Jose brings his lived experiences and professional experiences with him today to talk to us about the educational experiences of migratory children in the United States. So welcome, Jose, and thank you for joining us on Farmworker Chronicles. Well, glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. So, Jose, who are you? I think the bio <laughs> uh, pretty much kind of captured everything and uh, just a couple words. So, yeah, d- director of the Ohio Migrant Education Center. I've been there now 23 years. It's been a great experience, and it, it's really been a fun job, and I honestly can't see myself doing something uh, different anytime soon, so I'm, I'm really enjoying the trip. Where are you from? I am originally from South Texas, a small little town called uh, Lyford, Texas. I, it's kind of hard to claim it as my town because, I mean, that is where we would migrate to after we were done with agriculture here in Ohio. Um, when my father was done with the sugar beet season, uh, the, the end of October, early November, we'd migrate down to, to that little town, uh, Lifer, Texas. And, but we're only there for three, four uh, months out of the year. And then by March, April, we're coming back to get ready for the planting season. Uh, so, you know, I, claim Lyford as my little hometown, but really I, I spent most of my life up here uh, with my parents up here in Ohio. So part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you is because you have done farm work, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you did it with your family too. So what led you or your your family to farm work? Uh, my parents were, I believe, third generation migrant farm workers. I mean, we, we go we go back since the Bracero program, um, from you know, from what my father uh, explained, you know, to, just just to kind of give you an example of how much their family moved. Uh, you know, when my dad was a, a, a child farm worker, and and in my experience, I mean, he was born in uh, just out, just outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. He was born there because that's where my grandparents were at the time when they were harvesting cotton. I was born in South Texas, uh, in Harlingen, Texas in February, but that's February is usually when we're back down south waiting for the for the crop season to start. Uh, so that's where I was born. My sister uh, was born in Miami, Florida at the time when my parents were down in, in uh, South Florida doing agricultural work. My brother Gilbert, born in Tifton, Georgia, when my parents were harvesting onions at the time. And then my little brother Manuel was born in Bluffton because in Macomb that summer we were working or my parents were working in uh, the tomato and cucumber season up here in uh, Hancock County. So we actually haven't talked about the Bracero program yet on our show. Could you talk just a little bit about it, like the cliff notes of what the Bracero program was? I know uh, that might be hard. Uh, just uh, what a uh, little bit I read about it and what my uh, dad to- told me about it. It's just, you know, th- there was a need for uh, agricultural workers. And so there were, you know, the, there was um, that opportunity to, to bring 
Mexican males from Mexico to come up and and uh, work temporarily in agriculture, and uh, so it goes uh, way back uh, during those times. I I haven't studied it enough to give you the ins and outs of how that all started, and but um, I just from my conversations with my dad, you know, just the fact that his father and was all part of that program. I wonder if your father ran across my two grandfathers because they were braceros. So really? they came around during that time too. So sure. around World War II area. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned that your your parents obviously migrated to these different states to uh, harvest vegetables and fruits. What was your experience as a migrant child, and did you get to work in the fields with your parents? Uh, the experience was was bittersweet from the standpoint that, yes, it, it was a hard life because we seemed to never have the money for everything we needed. Um, but at the same time, it, it was a, a neat experience that uh, very few people have, and, and um, I, I think I come from a very loving family. We were, you know, my parents were very supportive of us. It, a lot of people don't know that that in traditional migrant uh, farm work, kids, as soon as they turn 12 years old, can work full-time hours on the farm. And it's not regulated very much. There, uh, you know, for example, there, there are no minimum hours, or I'm sorry, maximum hours that, that uh, kids can work. They can work as long as their parents uh, do out in the fields. And, and so, you know, from the time each one of us uh, reached uh, 12 years old, we were out in the field working with, with our parents for as long as they were out, out in the field. A lot of people might be surprised about that and might even, you know, uh, have a bad opinion of our parents. But as kids, we saw that as a badge of honor that we finally get to contribute to the family income. And so you add one more worker to the family that's able to bring in income, there's much more that you can afford. So now I was going, I was going to school with better clothes than I was before um, I started working. And we were, you know, uh, able to buy better food with more options that, that, that we could enjoy at home. So, so that's a little bit of an insight into the, that experience. So tell us about, we mentioned uh, migrant, and we've defined that in, in previous episodes, but in general, for in the education uh, world, what is the migrant stream? Sure. So the migrant stream is, um, and, and I'm glad you, you, you brought that up, because the migrant stream is, is, is a little bit unique from the standpoint that it's different for everyone. So the migrant stream in our family, I already mentioned before, we, you know, we're, we would be here in Ohio for most of the year when the harvest season was over with, uh, end of October, early November, you know, sometimes into in, into December, depending on what we were doing. Then, you know, the, the crop was over. We knew where we were going to go. We we're going to go down to Lyford, Texas. We were in Lyford, Texas until uh, March or April when we were ready to come back. But if we had a really bad season where uh, we didn't take the 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 we didn't make the amount of money that my dad was hoping for then we wouldn't stay in texas we'd actually cut that that visit short and go to florida and 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 you know my parents would would uh find work out there and then finally make it up to ohio so that was our migrant stream and like i said everyone's different you know we had other families that when they were finished with the harvest here they'd go right back to florida the really neat thing was that 
when you were in the migrant stream going into communities where there were other, you know, uh, various families that were also engaged in, in this kind of work, uh, sometimes you'd catch up to kids that you went to school with in the migrant stream up in Ohio. And so that was always a neat experience, you know, catching up to, to your friends. And if you were at a brand new school, you'd never been before. And all of a sudden you see these familiar faces, you all of a sudden make that connection and make, uh, you know, and strengthen those, uh, those friendships with those kids. What other experiences did you have, like, growing up in the migrant stream and experiencing that, whether it's okay. seeing different places? <laughs> so uh, th- th- this probably going to be funny. I, d- I don't usually uh, talk about this, it's, it's, it, but this was my own my own experience. Um, we When we were growing up, we didn't think that we were poor. I mean, we, we thought we were the baseline. Like, a, you know, we knew kids who were more poor than us that really, really, really had it bad. So we didn't see ourselves as the poor kids that we we thought we were the you know the again the baseline but the kids who had it really well were the kids that had uh oh i don't know uh an indoor furnace and indoor heater because for us uh the the heater was if we were cold inside the house the heater was the stove you turn it on and it would that's what you would use to heat the house and the summer if you were uh hot inside the house our ac was opening up the windows to let the the air through you know what i'm saying so that for that for us was you know was just normal but the kids that had furnaces and the kids that had indoor air conditioning those were the rich kids right and so and it's uh, i i mentioned this because you know sometimes i you know when i reflect on my own life now i live you know my wife and i live in a house with you know furnace and AC and and we we don't think about it before, but that lifestyle back then to us, you know, for for um, uh, kids living in uh, the way we were, we thought that those were the rich families. And I don't even think of myself that way right now. It's it's we're you know uh, uh, typical. The kids that we thought were filthy rich were the ones that had a swimming pool in the backyard. And so you know that's what we were all aiming for was to one day have a swimming pool in our backyard, which I don't have by the way. But I mean. <laughs> Uh, I just thought, you know, as a kid, the way we would, you know, the, the way we would think it would just be, you know, it was so silly sometimes. I would like to have a swimming pool in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's switch and talk a little bit more about education and your experience with education growing up. So what were your parents' views on education? You know how teachers will contact the, the parents and say, hey, we have a parent-teacher conference. We invite you to come. My parents never, rarely ever accepted those invites it, it uh, not because they didn't care about education they just didn't understand they, they that would confuse them why are being why are we being invited to come to into your workplace for you to show us what it is that you do we know that you you teach my child so why the invite so rarely would they ever uh, go to that um, but I think a lot of teachers or a lot of educators today see that as a um, a sign that parents don't that migrant parents don't care, but that's 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 far from the truth because um, uh, there were ways that my uh, that that my parents showed us that education was important. And one big major way was that if if you ever looked at the dates that we moved from one state to another, it was always on a Friday, and it was always after school. I remember, you know, if, if school let out at 3.30, you know, if I looked out the window, I could see my dad pulling up, you know, with the pickup truck full, you know, full with all of our possessions waiting for us to, 
you know, waiting for school to be let out. So as so as soon as the you know uh, school ended that day, my siblings and I we'd go to the office, get our report card signed, get all you know whatever uh, paperwork we needed. We'd jump in uh, in the pickup truck where you know out in the parking lot where my dad was waiting for us, and that was when we took off to go to the next state. Why? Because my parents wanted us in school at the next school at our new school by Monday morning and so that right there just just those little things for us was how we knew that education was important to our parents so even though they didn't go to the PTA uh, you know PTO meetings or the or our parent teacher conferences they had other ways that they they showed to us that uh, education was important to them so what led you to go to college? That is a loaded question because it was um, my senior year, halfway through my senior year, I hadn't decided what I was going to do. College was not even in the plans. But uh, my senior year in high school, you know, I, I was attending, I graduated from, uh, from uh, Eastwood High School here in Northwest Ohio. And uh, uh, I happened to have made it to state. In both hurdle events, um, the 110 hurdles, the 300 hurdles, and and so that you know that that was a big thing for me, and and I was blessed that that the farmer and 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 his wife were very supportive of of me doing that because that was a tomato planting season, and I really should have been out there working, but they were very supportive of of me doing that. But um, but yeah, so that year I made it to state and. A couple of weeks before knowing that I was going to make it to state, I guess I caught the attention of uh, the, the track coach at the University of Finley. He sent me a letter saying, hey, we'd love for you to come run for us. Here's a college application. Submit it, and we'll, we'll process it for you. And, yeah, sure enough, I did that. Uh, I got the acceptance letter, and I knew that's where I was going to go to school. But it was all because of the invite to come and, and run track. The interesting thing is I show up at the University of Finley my my to start my freshman year, I hadn't done my financial aid packet because I didn't know what a financial aid packet was. I hadn't visited the co- uh, a college campus before. I just went on instinct, showed up, got my key the night before classes started, the morning uh, that classes started, and everyone's on a mission to get to their classes. I'm, I'm looking out the window of my dorm thinking, something's off here. I'm supposed to be going somewhere. <laughs> I don't, you know. So so the whole fact that, that i I had made it that far, but I had didn't have the basics. Didn't have a basic understanding of what college was. You know, it it that first day was incredible. There's, uh, but luckily I, you know, I was introduced to a gentleman on campus. His name was Ricardo Lucio, who guided me through the process. And by the end of the day, I had a major, which I had no idea what a major was, but I was there to run track. But he helped me pick a major and a minor, and and stuck with it all the way through the four years I was there. So uh, very blessed. So what are some of the, like, maybe factors be- of migrant students going to college or not? I think, you know, I, and I, uh, I mentioned it a couple times, you know, th- th- that I was blessed. I, I was blessed to be around the right people at the right time, I think. Um, but um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, going back to that term we use, used earlier of the migrant stream. Our migrant st- stream was pretty direct, pretty defined. We knew where we we're going to go and the places that we were going to go were places that I was already familiar with. Uh, these were teachers who already, teachers and administrators who already knew who we were. So every time we'd unplug from one school district to go to the next one, we were plugging right back into a system we were already familiar with. You know what I'm saying? So that made it easy 
from the standpoint that I was, I had that social capital everywhere we went because mm-hmm. even though we were just there temporarily, temporarily, it 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 uh, it built up every time that we would come return to that. And it, and the kids that I've talked to who who didn't graduate from high school that didn't finish school, you know, I I did see a pattern there where some of these kids when they were when they would talk about their migrant stream, it, it really wasn't a stream. It was more like a this chaotic. Uh, system where, well, we went to Wisconsin because we heard that there was a bell pepper harvest, so we went over there. And then after that, oh, we went to Colorado because we heard that there was, you know, work in this, and they had never been to Colorado before. And so all these brand new moves means you find, you you meet brand new teachers, brand new kids, a, a whole new system, a whole new community. And by the time you finally start to understand it, you're being picked up and plugged in somewhere else, and uh, if it's somewhere new, you're having to, you're having to start the process all over again, and that 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 makes it very difficult. Yeah, the part of um, the connections with educators and administrators is so important for students, right? And yes. to have that connection, uh, what you were saying about not having that support reminded me of when I was in in high school and trying to think of how I'm going to get to the university, right? And not having the support from my counselors. Thankfully, there was programs for first-generation students to um, to learn about college and to be able to get introduced to it. Yep. And fortunately, I did have, you know, the 101 university and unlike you, mm-hmm. just showing up and looking out the window <laughs> and, yeah. and saying like, where am I supposed to go? Yeah. So res- those resources are so important, right? I, I do have a funny story with that. Uh, that summer before I started my freshman year, I had an opportunity uh, to visit the college campus. We got an introduc- uh, or um, uh, an invite to come in and for those uh, incoming freshmen to come in and get a tour of the campus one more time, uh, meet their professors and get all this paperwork done. Uh, and they called it Senior Day. I brought my my brother with me, my brother Gilbert, and I said, hey, well, let's go. I want to go do this thing. He's like, all right. So so we went, and this would have been my first opportunity to, to visit the college campus and ask all the questions I, I wanted to ask. But again, Senior Day, right? So uh, walking up to the student union and right outside the sign, there was that sign, Senior Day, and, and I was all excited. I walk in, and the first person I see sitting there was a senior citizen. And I started laughing. My brother's like, what are you laughing at? It's like, I thought this was for me. This for senior citizens. It was meant for senior high school kids, right? It, for, it, I was at the right place, but, the, but because of that, incident uh that that drove me away thinking oh how, how funny i boy i really got this wrong it, and so i <laughs> i had that missed opportunity and so uh yeah so when i bring it up every so often with my brother he's like yeah that that you that was dumb we, we, <laughs> we like yeah i know i know so. but i can understand that i mean you're not familiar no. with it and you see that and you think oh this isn't this isn't for me i'm in the wrong place like <laughs> Kind of jumping to that conclusion. Right. It's understandable, right, I think. Right, right, Don't beat yourself up too much. I, I, <laughs> I'm sweating just thinking about it right now. It's so, <laughs> so embarrassing. Let's talk about uh, systemic education policy, I guess. So how could educators or the educational system better serve the children of farm workers? 
two things, uh, two big recommendations. Uh, don't don't try to dumb down the the, the curriculum. By, by that I mean I had too many teachers that would say, oh, uh, you know, Jose's back. Oh, poor kid. He, he just got in. You know, you don't have to do this book report or you don't have, you know, just work on this other thing on the side. And it, it was so basic just to kind of, you know, because they were afraid I, we we weren't able to handle the, uh, uh, the, the, the schoolwork. And and I can tell you as of right now, through my whole high school experience, I never once had to give a report in front of class. And that was, uh, that hurt me because when I started my freshman year in college, in my freshman sem- seminar class, I had to do a presentation on a project that I had done. And this was the first time I was going to be in front of the class. And all we had to do was put five minutes uh, of discussion points, you know, speak for, for five minutes on, on our on our topic. And I was excited about my topic, but I'd never been in front of the group. And I kept telling myself when I got up there, don't look at the kids, don't look at the kids, you know, just read off the paper. And half, like 30 seconds into into what I was talking about, I happened to look up and I, I saw 20, 22 faces looking at me and I panicked and I just, I, I couldn't talk anymore and I sat down. And so, but because I, and now, now I can speak stand in front of 400 people and give a 30 minute hour long presentation on migrant education and not sweat uh, sweat it at all but just that little simple little thing that but because I hadn't had the, the uh, you know the the experience before I panicked so you know give them those opportunities and 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 for high school kids even as, as early as middle school I start talking about career and college and and that sort of thing because you know if, uh, no one should have should be in the situation where I was at where you right. kind of winging it you know give them the opportunity to explore those things that's I that to me is very very important it's golden is there anything that you would have done to change your experience thinking back now as especially as director of Omec and the work you do I think the one thing that I could have done to to uh, have a bigger impact would have been in the lives of my siblings. Again, I was I felt like I was still trying to figure things out myself. But uh, hindsight, I think I would have gone back and mentored them a little bit better and passed down the wisdom that I was acqu- uh, acquiring along the way. But even with very little help and guidance from me. I mean, uh, two out of my three siblings, I mean, they, they've gone on and gotten masters and are, are doing well uh, in their careers. I, I don't feel like I was really a part of that very much. Uh, so I think if there's one thing different uh, that I would go back and do is uh, to, to uh, kind of guide them a little bit better and uh, along the way. When I think back at like my role as the uh, oldest in my family, I think about the same thing. How could have I have been a better mentor during that time? Because exactly. especially if it's you're the first one in your family going through it, there's just so much to learn that at that moment you can't really think of anything else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have a question about anything, like if there are things outside of your family or outside of schools that impacted your educational experience? Like if there were any services or outreach programs that made a difference in your life or your family's life that made it easier for you or your siblings to uh, get an education? Yes. In the programs that we coordinate in the summer, one uh, one of the biggest programs that we do in the summer is a summer school program for migrant students. Back when I was in high school, trying to finish high school, 
Uh, I went to the summer migrant program that was ha um, held at Lakota High School, which I think it's Seneca County. That was very important because if I had not gone to that summer program, I wouldn't have graduated on time. So let me explain. It, every state has their own graduation requirements. And when you have to pick up in the middle of the school year to go in, uh, uh, and, and enroll in a school in a different state, you have to then abide by the graduation requirements of that state. So back then in, in Ohio, we've always had the you know one year of government. You need one year of government in order to graduate. Well, back when I was in uh, high school, high school then, when I went to Texas, Texas requirement was one semester of government and one semester of economics. Well, so we uh, we left here in November. I finished off the semester over there in Texas. And when we came back from Christmas break to start the new semester, now I was in, uh, I was in economics. I went to my counselor and I said, no, I need a whole year. It's like, we don't have that. You have to go into economics. So April comes around. We moved back to Ohio. Now I'm behind because uh, I, I, you know, I need that, that second semester of uh, government and I didn't have the hours. And so, so at the end of that school year, I was already behind no fault of mine. I was, you know, I, you know grade, grade wise, I was doing fine, but because of those things, uh, a lot of, uh, migrant students, uh, they, they, they struggle, but because of these summer programs that allow kids to come in and make up that credit. Again, no fault of ours, but be, you know that that's just the, the the part of the lifestyle that you know the the you know the the um, uh, you lose that continuity in the education. You need a place to be able to make that up. And so, if it was not for that summer school migrant program in Lakota, uh, I would not have been able to graduate in 1990 when you know when um, on time when I was supposed to. So. Were you tracking your graduation requirements, or was there a counselor at the school that alerted you? Or how did you even? I probably wouldn't have even known, honestly. I <laughs> did not even think about it until that my junior year, when I when my guidance counselor was telling me you're you're not on track to graduate, and that's when I start panicking. Uh, I was like, man, I've got one more year to go. How am I not going to graduate on time? And it was only then that I finally took my credits a little bit more seriously. I wanted to find out what else what else do I've got going on that, that I need to be aware of. And so, uh, but yeah, it, it was a guidance counselor that brought it to my attention saying, hey, we, we need to do something about it. But it was through the migrant program that I was able to find a way to get make it up there. So uh, again, surrounded by uh, great people and that's always been a great blessing that you got people watching out for you, so. So you mentioned uh, the migrant program. So I wanted to ask you, what is your job and what is the migrant program? This is another uh, blessing. The fact that I'm the director of a center that is coordinating these programs uh, all over the state that that I was able to take a, ad, ad, you know, uh, advantage of growing up and that I needed growing up. So basically uh, what we have are migratory families that work in agriculture in different pockets of the state. And so what we do is we work with the school districts that receive these kids, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, these kids who enroll in, in, in their schools uh, to help them along because, uh, you know, th they have special needs. If they were at, at a a school in another state, they, it might be hard to try to get those records. We know who to contact at each state to to uh, um, uh, secure those records and get those kids, uh, you know, uh, enrolled in school and they can get started right away. That, so, so it's it's uh, we we can come in and do 
teacher in-service for them. We've done a couple of those where, uh, you know, we come in ex and explain what migrant students are, uh, what their special needs are, uh, what kind of uh, services they're able, to, they're able to provide to kind of expedite the learning process for them and that sort of thing. So uh, so that that is uh, kind of the core of what we do. And then for several school districts that receive uh, what's called Title I-C funding uh, to run a summer school program, we do all the teacher in service for, for those teachers uh, to make sure that they're fully aware of what their responsibilities are under Title I-C to, to be able to um, um, provide the educational services for those kids. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, what other ways uh, do you identify students who are eligible for your program other than through schools in Ohio? Sure. We have a team of recruiters uh, that that we, you know, uh, they're off during the winter time uh, for three, four months, and then we bring bring them back in the spring when we know the families are about to start uh, returning to Ohio. And every year they go through a, uh, an intense training on the identification and recruitment of uh, migratory families. And so they, they, you know, based on the eligibility criteria, if the kids, you know, if the families are highly mobile, if, the, if, if they're engaged in qualifying agricultural work, um, then, then we will do what's called a certificate of eligibility, and that's 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 the proof. That's what we need to show the state and the feds that that uh, the um, uh, these kids that are receiving Title One C services are eligible for the, for these services. And so, um, and then the services are really geared towards each child's individual needs. So we don't assume that because one child needs may need ESL that another student needs that as well. That that child might need. Uh, credit and government, and so we work with them on, <laughs> on uh, get, you know, meeting those needs. Do you also work with growers with identifying families? Our growers have been wonderful to work with. Uh, they know that if the if if the kids have somewhere to go in the summer, uh, for us to work on 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 closing that educational gap, the the kids come with it gives the parents uh, the 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 freedom and opportunity to go work while we're you know while we're uh, taking care of the educational needs of the kids so uh farmers see us as a as a um something good in the community and and sometimes we're the uh, it's the farmers that are calling us to give us advance notice that their families uh, are about to come up so uh they, they've been wonderful to work with that's great yeah that is mm -hmm. great is there anything that we missed, anything that you want our listeners to hear about your personal or professional experience? This has been a great experience. Thank you so much for inviting me to come in and, and share with you. Uh, I did want to uh, mention that my wife and I recently saw a movie on Amazon Prime. I think it's called A Million Miles Away. That is a really great movie to watch if you want to kind of get an idea of the farm worker experience and how, you know, one kid's, you know, uh, uh, watching this one kid grow up and, and become something that, that, that uh, you know, an astronaut, I don't want to give it away, but becomes a <laughs> becomes an astronaut. And, and, and the, the, the whole experience, what he had to go through, uh, my wife and I found that fascinating because we, we, we were able to make connections along the way, like, oh my gosh, that, you know, remember when that happened to us and, and that sort of thing. But it, it's, a, it's a great movie. And I had the oppor uh, opportunity one time to, to, 
to meet Jose Hernandez, the the, the actual astronaut, because we're invited to Pennsylvania uh, to a migrant education conference, and I just could not miss it. And that was the real, re- the big reason why I wanted to, to to go to it. But the fact that a movie was made of them, that's it's just uh, f- uh, phenomenal. But yeah, I encourage awesome. people if they haven't seen it to to watch it. It's, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. It's a great movie. So, Jose, thanks for joining us. Uh, But before we let you go, how do people get in contact with you or reach out to OMEC for more information about your services? A very good question. We have a a website. It's OMECOhio, all one word, dot org. And uh, you could also call our uh, direct number, 419-332-6007, especially if you think you've got uh, migrant students in your district and uh, you'd like to get them plugged into some of our services, uh, give us a call and anyone in our office would be able to help you out. Great. And your program is available, well, at least your staff, year-round. Yes, uh, year-round. Uh, January, February, uh, we're, uh, our staff, that's when they use a lot of their vacation time, but uh, the office is usually covered by someone. So, uh, again, we'll, we'll have someone there that can help them out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jose. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Farmworker Chronicles. We are your hosts and producers, Gwen and Wendy. And we thank Jose Salinas, the director of the Ohio Migrant Education Center, for joining us today. Our assistant producer is Jared Rosenberg. And our executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer. If you want to join the conversation, go to wgte.org fwc. Until then, I'm Gwen. And I'm Wendy, reminding you to think a farmworker. Bye. Bye. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.